And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Chris Thomas. And I'm Ryan Oliver. How's it going, Ryan? I'm doing pretty alright. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty all right myself. Uh, I know that you've been traveling, man, uh, recently. Yeah, I just got back from Australia. I think I'm finally uh, a time zone adjusted. Uh, hmm. It's been about a week since I've been back. And I, I was sitting here tonight before we hopped on mic, and I was like, you know, I was like, it feels like it's been a minute. And I was like, oh, but we put out an episode last week. And then I forgot that we just recorded two episodes at the same time before I yeah. left. So I'm like, it has been a minute, actually. <laughs> so hopefully we know how to do this, uh, can remember how to do this correctly. So yeah, I hope so. Uh, well, back in the saddle. Feels good. Back in the saddle. Feels good. Very happy to be here. Very excited since you, you too, will be traveling man here shortly. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about on the last couple episodes, we're after this, we're pretty much going to be taking all of September off. Um and I think we have our picks lined up for October, so we could probably just spill the beans on all of them into, at the end of the episode, so sure. get people excited. Um, but, uh, you know, but before we hopped on Mike, we we picked all our spooky picks for October. I'm drinking a pumpkin beer. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot that we're actually talking, not talking about horror movies today, for once. Uh, <laughs> we, we teased at the end of the last episode, we're going to be talking about uh, contemporary musicals so these are musicals that have been made any i was gonna i think i said in the last five to ten years on the last episode but it ended up being within the last five years and really mm-hmm. in the last three uh right. these picks very um, contemporary music very is contemporary and i think mainly because um for me like i i've i've just recently sort of gotten gotten into musicals and like really appreciated okay. it as like a, a cinematic sort of craft and so i'm i'm working my way back to the classical musicals, but I have a lot of blind spots uh, to fill. So I didn't feel super confident in like really dissecting a good, bad and what of like contemporary musical or or, uh, uh, classical musicals. musicals? But I feel like just having kind of kept up with pretty much all recent releases, you know, since, you know, doing podcasting and and writing, like I was like, I, I feel like I have a fair grasp of that and and i think like the musicals have sort of roared back in the last few years um yeah. probably off the success of 2016's la la land i would imagine oh. is the movie that sort of brought brought it back or did you have another one in mind you said oh i was like, gonna say did... also hamilton oh yes i think huge phenomenon i think the the cross wires there uh you know for for sure um mm-hmm. Uh, you know, case in point, my good was almost uh, last year's In the Heights, which is, you know, Hamilton mm. creator Lin-Manuel Miranda. So almost mm. went with that. But I, I like the good we picked here somewhat better. Um, but before I lay the picks out, like, what is your sort of the uh, history with, with, like, with the musical genre? I know, like, some people really love them and some people are like, ah, it's not really my bag. Like, where, where do you sort of sort of fall? 
I fall in the not really my bag. Uh, my wife loves musicals uh, a lot. Uh, so whenever I watch too many weird movies in a row and it's her turn to pick, she'll usually pick some three or three and a half hour long musical. Um, she pres- uh, subscribes to uh, Broadway HD, which uh, you can stream like uh, like actual Broadway recordings of some of the like the big musicals. And so she's just been hammering through all the different versions of phantom of the opera and jesus christ superstar so that that shit's always playing around the house at some point or another so i've seen a lot of the classics um I, i've just watched all these contemporaries i can take or leave musicals they i uh, it, it's they don't really do it for me uh since i'm not there for the spectacle so much as i am for the story and when the story gets interrupted every 10 minutes for a choreographed dance number in the street i'm like i want to get back to things that matter and are moving the plot forward um so i kind of just get lost in it sometimes but it's not always the case case in point with our good today uh and we can get into that well i appreciate the transparency and i think it'll be an interesting episode to say the least with with our two like you you're like you're like i know these because of uh like osmosis right (laughs) and and mine is like i'm i'm trying i'm trying ringo to be the (laughs) shepherd (laughs) and, and learn more but uh uh, I'm getting there, but I, I guess without further ado, let's just lay out the picks and we'll get right into it. So for the good, I have chosen the 2021 version of West Side Story, directed by Steven Spielberg. For the bad, I have chosen Dear Evan Hansen, also from 2021, directed by Steven uh, Chabosky. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. And for the what, of course, I've chosen Cats from 2019, <laughs> directed by Tom Hooper. Um, what else? <laughs> what else? Like, what, what else would you really... Um, but let's start with uh, with West Side Story. Dear kindly judge your honor, my parents treat me rough with all their marijuana. They won't give me a puff. They didn't want to have me, but somehow I was had. Leaping lizards, that's why I'm so bad. Right, Officer Krupp, key, you're really a square. This boy don't need a judge, he needs a analyst care. It's just his neurosis that ought to be cursed. He's psychologically disturbed. I'm disturbed! We're disturbed, we're disturbed, we're the most Um, and and you've you've seen the original, right, Chris? Yes. Yeah. I have too, though. I have to come clean. I saw this one first. Uh, okay. Though it's only been a year, but I I finally watched the Robert Wise version. I think this year, earlier this year, I finally caught up with it. But uh, I watched this first when it came out last December. Um, but uh, I will I will kick it over to you. What did you think? Uh, this was the first time watched for you. Of, uh, of Uncle Stevie's version. So what what did you think of the new West Side Story? I thought it was great. I think for, uh, other than really one performance in the movie, I would say that I preferred it to um, the original uh, from 61. Uh, of course, I haven't seen the actual live version of it. Um, but Steven Spielberg knows how to make a picture. Um, unsurprisingly, the guy knows how to make movies. Uh, and... When I said earlier, I, for the most part, am not really lost in the spectacle and I want to get back to the story. Um, the story of West Side Story is very bare bones and stripped down. It's it's Romeo and Juliet. Like, it's really, it's nothing earth shattering. So right. it's, it's very much about the spectacle. And so when you can get on that wavelength and the spectacle is being directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, it 
is some mighty mighty impressive uh visuals uh to carry you through and uh i i was having uh, a blast watching this movie totally no i i uh, i love this movie and i'm glad to hear that, that that you loved it as well i i think it was like i you know i cut together a, a year-end video and i think it was like number 24 but like i've probably rewatched this like three or four times and i'm like how did i not put this in my top 10 for last year like i i've seen it so much i love it so much and we'll we'll get into that one performance but even then even then that one performance much better than i could have anticipated um sure like as upon rewatching, i was like you know I was like, I was very leery about this, but uh, I think it works in this movie. Um, but we'll get to that. But I think that it's interesting, like, uh, you know, I, you know, rewatch or watching the original for the first time. And I think what makes, well, I think they're both great, I should say. Like, I think the original is great. There's a certain, like, power to it. There's a certain simplicity to it. And I love the sort of compare and contrast. And neither is wrong. Because, I mean, the original in 1961, it's got a big Technicolor canvas, of course, but it's, like, it's definitely more stage musically. Like, if you were to put them side by side. Like, when they do America in the uh, original, it's, like, in a warehouse. Like, just mm-hmm. a back and forth in a warehouse versus this one. It's, like, they're going, uh, you know, Janusz Kaminski's camera is going through the streets. And, and uh, uh, it's just, like, a, a beautiful, beautiful, like, maneuver. And so... But I think, for one, I think the songs are powerful, and I think the story is still, like, ever prescient uh, about mm-hmm. how, you know, this country treats immigrants and the sort of, like, uh, like viewpoint that a lot of, like, sadly, a lot of Americans still have. And I think that, um, for one, I think one of the other big things this movie does much better is there's there's no one in brown face in this movie, fortunately. Yeah, uh, they yeah. actually cast Puerto Rican <laughs> actors or... or, or, or uh, you know, the people of color, they did not cast, they did not cast white people that they put in brown face. So, uh, that's also a big up. Big up. This movie has. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just, the, the, the choreography in this movie is just like outstanding. And I think that what I should have known, but like, it, it sort of blew me away. Cause I, I've been, I really, since the Spielberg run from like 98 to 2005, which I think is a pretty damn great run of movies. Uh, been pretty cold on or, or been like okay on a lot of Spielberg movies from like I think since Munich really like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull we talked about on the show obviously not great but not as bad as his reputation would suggest uh War Horse is fine Adventures of Tintin is fine Lincoln I didn't like as much as a lot of other people uh I did love Bridge of Spies I'll, I'll say that uh didn't see the BFG Ready Player One is terrible. Uh, the post mm-hmm. is fine, but like I, I've been like not as high on some of the movies. But like I think kind of what we talked about with newer Cronenberg when we talked about Crimes of the Future mm-hmm. last week, where like even though I haven't been high in the movies, like an artist should be true to theirself and do their their thing. So it's like I don't begrudge Spielberg for it, and it's like I still love the movies that I love. But this movie felt like someone 20 to 30 years his junior made it. Like, it felt like an itch he's been wanting to scratch for a very, very long time. Oh, and you can feel it in the energy. Like, the yeah. there is not a, a static shot. Like, no. the, the camera's always in motion. <laughs> things in the frame are always in motion, passing right in front of it or moving far into the background. I, um, you mentioned there's shots where they're spilling out into the street and there's cars going past and pedestrians walking through, but then even off in the distance, it's like, it's like matte painting backdrops, like almost like it, yes. it, it, it feels like 
it's still paying homage to where it came from its roots of being a stage play like you feel like a big new york city vibe but then if you look over it, it's just like it's almost like uh like watercolors like in the way that the, the they sort of fade into each other in the distance and so it 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 captures this almost wizard of oz sense of whimsy and and uh and wonder and like magic to it which makes sense in a world where everybody will break into choreographed song where everyone knows the lyrics to the song like you can't ground it in realism and so i the the scenes of uh and i need to look at imdb because i'm terrible with names but uh, uh tony and uh his shark buddy riff um riff thank you tony mm. and riff when they're fighting over the gun on yes. the dock and the, it, like the camera is sweet like going overhead for, for bird's eye views and then sweeping down ankle height as they're kicking it um the other sharks are running through the scene and like kicking dirt up in the air there's a, for some reason just big piles of dirt strategically placed but it's placed there to give depth to the frame and 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 like cloud their move, movements and their motions and it's it's stuff like that we've talked about it with previous movies on the podcast of when it's a detail that you don't have to add that when it is there, it shows the degree of care and thought that you're putting into crafting the film. Whereas yes. a lesser filmmaker wouldn't think of that. They're worried about getting it onto the celluloid, but Spielberg, this is old hat to him now is like, we need to take it up several different notches. Mm -hmm. And I was constantly impressed the entire way through of like, I never lost sight of the fact that it's a Spielberg movie. So I came in with high expectations anyway, but just watching him like, damn like he knows what he's doing yeah it's so well thought out and i love like you know you mentioned like the other thing i love about the movie is like that scene specifically is how how they totally rearranged like they changed scenes around see like where the songs play in in the play and in mm -hmm. in the original movie like they've changed it around completely like um uh re-orchestrated it and in a way that like fit his vision, and I think that like and tr like true to what he wanted, while still paying homage to to Sonheim and to Robin mm. Wise, like I was like for like like cool is the number right. There's only like two musical lines because that song in the original is after the rumble, like after right. they're panicked because they need to get rid of the gun and they're like you know keep it cool. But this is before the rumble, so it's like don't go do something stupid. And then they right. have this whole elaborately choreographed piece that's like just incredibly done and and like i got a credit as well in addition to spielberg because he knows how to make a movie and janish's cinematography the 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 screenwriter of the movie tony kushner who adapted it um you know as a playwright of himself did angels in america mm -hmm. he's also worked with spielberg before i think he wrote lincoln and he co-wrote uh the upcoming the fablemans um this like semi-autobiographical movie that i think will have played at tiff by the time this episode drops uh, maybe oh. not maybe it's next week but um but like I, I think the script is like really is is really rich like for for a musical like I think there's a lot of great texture to the movie that I think is is in the original but I think that they're able to really uh, bring to the forefront in this movie in a way that I think is constructive. Well, and I was surprised by how unmelodramatic it comes across. I mean, it's still melodramatic because it is a musical, but with, like watching this and compared to the one in 1961 where the the characters like i've said the story is fairly threadbare it's young love in the summer the the events of the movie take place over the course of a day or just over a day like it, it, yeah i think it's it, two they, in this one but it's it, in the original it's 
one day because like they have the rumble in the original i think pretty much the evening after the dance but they, right. they do give it a whole day for uh for this one before yeah before they let it, it marinate for 24 hours but yeah the the they're getting married and people are getting killed and it's like it's so absurd how quickly things devolve and turn into the way that they are but the the characters aren't they're not playing to the back row. Like, they're not stage actors who are this, like, way over-emoting. I, I thought um, uh, Rachel Ziegler, who plays Maria, did an excellent job. Uh, especially a big shout-out to Ariana DeBose, who plays Anita, mm-hmm. uh, who was excellent in, in this movie. Like, so good. everything that she did was was fantastic. Won, um, won an Oscar this last year for the role. Uh, there were a lot of... She's great in it. There were a lot of jokes about how Anita is the uh, the new Joker because there have been... Um, there's only been three roles in which uh, uh, in act, two different actors have won for playing the role. Because uh, oh. Rita Moreno, who owns the store that Tony works in this movie, played... Mm-hmm. Uh, played um, um, Anita. Anita. Why did I blank on the name? Sorry. <laughs> Anita in the 1961 version. They yeah. both won Oscars. Uh, of course, Heath Ledger and uh, um, Joaquin Phoenix both won Oscars for the Joker. And then, uh, what was the third one? It's uh, um, uh, um, Michael Corleone. Or not Michael Corleone. Oh. Vito Corleone. Uh, both oh, yeah. uh, Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro won for, for playing, uh, playing right. him. But, but yes, sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. Ariana DeBose is phenomenal in the movie. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I think I mean I would say the same thing. Uh, uh, is it Mike Feist or Faced? I, I we're gonna butcher the name because I'm not 100 percent sure. But he blew me the second he because he's one of the first people who who arrives on screen in the movie. Uh, oh, yeah. when, when the jets are going and 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 you know painting, uh, you know vandalizing, and I was just like, this kid knows how to carry himself. This kid oh, yeah. is phenomenal, and um, you know he's he's the broken soul of the movie in a, in a way really the sort of tragic soul. I mean, I know it's Tony and Maria's story, but like, I think riff has always sort of been the more standout, like even the original Russ Tamlin mm-hmm. outshines Richard Beamer, I think in, oh, in sure. the original. So, um, oh, yeah. but yeah, he's great. He's he, I, I was like, he was the one when I, uh, I was like, how did that kid not get a Oscar nomination for this? He's good. <laughs> he's fantastic. And I mean, like, He's the burning spark that really lights the fire and kicks off the whole things. I mean, like, uh, Bernardo, who played by uh, David Alvarez, he's a hothead, of course, but, like, he's instigated on by Riff constantly poking and, and prodding and being like, we need to take our turf back and drop in some racial slurs uh, when, when he sees fit. Uh, which, I mean, makes sense for the character and the time period that they're in. Um, I'm not going to fault the movie for that in any way whatsoever, but the his character is sort of the emotional core. I mean, I felt more like by the time spoilers, if you haven't seen West side story, please go see it. But by the time the rumble happens and he gets stabbed, I felt more like gut punched by that than anything that happens at the end of the movie. Like I, I personally never really felt invested in the Maria and Tony romance that's happening in the movie, even though I know that's sort of supposed to be the backbone I didn't really ever care about it too much, and I that might be a fine segue into explaining why I never really cared about it too much, is the star of the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I will say I will be somewhat fair in, mm-hmm. in, in a way and say that I don't think their arc is that interesting in the original either. I think like no. all the all the texture 
texture about what the the story has to say about America. And I think like all the other cursory characters, Riff, Bernardo, Anita, all far more interesting characters than Tony or Maria, even though Rachel Ziegler is great, even though Natalie Wood is great in the original. Uh, I just, you know, I don't think their romance is that good. But yes, we will get, of course, get into Ansel Elgort, who's the lead of this movie, who's an actor that I do not like, really. Uh, (laughs) I I have not really liked him in anything that he's been in. But, but, and I don't know how he got cast here, uh, other than the fact that he can sing well enough, enough, and and he's tall, which is like that's mm. been like a character character trait of Tony, so they cast him because he's really tall, I guess. But I will say, because it's Spielberg, Spielberg got the best of what I think he could bring to a movie, like sure. to the point where it's like he's not as engaging as the other co-stars. But I didn't dislike him as much as I did in in like Baby Driver and especially in oh. like The Fault in Our Stars, you know. And yeah. even Edgar Wright kind of tapped into what he could do. I think there's a physicality to him, like especially that the cool number that you're talking about when him and mm-hmm. Riff are fighting over the gun. There's a physicality that I think he can bring, and that Spielberg really taps into even more than Edgar Wright did. And like I, I think of the specific like the one really good chase scene in Baby Driver. Or the foot chase scene with to like hocus pocus by focus. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like I feel like Spielberg taps into that here and and much more consistently, um, to the point where like I thought he was gonna him being in it. I was like really not looking forward to that um, by any stretch. But he did not torpedo the movie for me as much as I would have thought. But then when it comes to kind of the the sort of like not singing romance scenes, that's that's like one of the only things that falls flat in the movie for me is like, it's just his, his delivery of it, but um, it's not the best. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what he's going for. He, he's almost sort of like going for, going for a Brando, but without the ability to freak out, like in, um, uh, God, what's the movie I'm thinking of? Stella. Um, Oh, on the waterfront? On the waterfront? Uh, where, like, Brando could play, like, this quiet, like, uh, there's a guy boiling underneath the surface of this veneer that if you crack it, I'm going to crack your skull kind of situation. But he has that sort of forward-facing bravado. And I feel like when watching Ansel Elgort, he's trying to embody that, but he's yeah. not intimidating. So no. it, it, it looks like he's putting on a front, but there's nothing behind it. So it's just like this, he's just a stand in for the situation he's in. And I, I, maybe I'm misreading him, but like, it's, it's, that's how he comes across to me. But I think you're right that there is a physicality, especially in that scene where they're fighting over the gun. I think he's great in that scene, but again, he's not really having to act in that scene. He's just hitting his marks. So that speaks more to the direction of the movie than it does the performance of the person who's hitting the marks. Sure, absolutely. No, I would agree. And and I guess you could say the same thing in the musical numbers. But I do think that, you know, it, it, as I, I thought maybe the first time I saw it, and maybe because I was just like, I just don't, like, there's something, there's like a knee-jerk repulse reaction when he's in a movie to me. <laughs> uh, but, like, the more I've watched it, the more I think I really, like, I've warmed up to it or at least accepted it. I was like, you know what? All this around here is great. I'm like, you can hit your marks, like you said. You could sing well enough. 
Um, but I think that's, I mean, that's a tough part is like, I don't, where are all the young, like singing actors? I don't know. Like you could get, you could get like a Hugh Jackman or somebody, but like Hugh Jackman's obviously mm. too old for this role. Right. Right. Like, you know, like yeah. young love like, in the summer. <laughs> so it's, yeah. So it's 40s. like, it's like, where are those actors who, who are like that, like triple threat? And it's like, I don't right. know. Maybe there just aren't as many. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. But, um, so who the heck knows but i do think that he works well enough and i i I don't think it warrants a pass but i will at least say like ah well their story is kind of the most boring in the original anyway like Mm -hmm. uh you know um i mean richard beamer not like you know i love him on twin peaks and russ tamlin both both riff and uh, uh uh tony from the original went on to be twin peaks actors but uh you know, but like he didn't have like a huge career after playing Tony in in the original. He's not like the most like charismatic great actor either. So I no, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is, uh, I'm okay with it for this movie, but how the hell does it keep happening? Because he's in that like Michael Mann produced. <laughs> he's in that like Michael Mann produced series on HBO, like Tokyo Vice, which I haven't watched mainly because he's the star in it. I was like, I love Michael Mann anything, but I'm just like, eh, I don't, I don't. I don't want to sit through a series. Can't put up with it. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, I it, like we're saying, at least in this movie, the the most boring part is the main story, the main love story that we're being presented. Yes. Everything else that is around it is where the actual substance is. So even in this instance, with a not very strong performance from the lead actor, that's not what we're here for. This is truly a a musical movie where the, the the numbers the dancing the choreography the sets the 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 design the color the motion in, uh, the, of the camera that is what makes the movie and it, it, as far as that is concerned stellar and it yeah. blows out any low performance out of the water easily yeah because these numbers are so spectacular like um, america is a standout i think oh, yeah. um Dear Officer Krupke, I, I think, is a great one in the, the jail cell. Um, I think my only sort of nitpick, because I don't I don't think the number's done bad. This is like a total nitpick, and, and I, I accept it. I think it's weird that I Feel Pretty comes after the rumble. I, I think that's a weird uh, uh, shift arrangement of, like, here's the rumble, and you arguably have uh, Riff, who's, like, one of the heart and soul of the movie, you know, get stabbed and killed and everyone's breaking. The cops are looking for everybody left for dead. And then la 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 la. Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, that's, this is, that's a weird, this should have happened sooner. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, yeah, I, I can see that's a fair critique. Uh, it, I mean, it didn't take me out of it, but yeah. I, no, I, it didn't take me out of it either. It's just like, that's odd. <laughs> like, yeah. It was that, like one yeah. The, odd choice. <laughs> but it's, it's okay. Um, and then I guess if we're shouting out like performances too, the last one I, I want to give Rita Moreno her flowers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who's who's is fantastic because I think her number I, I could be wrong and, and maybe someone could correct me. I think her number was is new to this story. Like I don't mm. think that it to this version. I don't think that it was a um, one for any of the other recordings, uh, or at least not for the original movie. Maybe there was a stage version that, that had it, but um, but is she's she's fantastic and it was of course nice to see her of like okay spielberg is also a film historian film nerd he's gonna right. tip his hat and you know and it wasn't like i kind of liked that it was like they gave her a meaty role it's not like they tried to find cameos it's not like they tried right. to do like 
Ghostbusters 2016 where they got like everybody a cameo. It's like you don't see Russ Tamlin or or Richard Beamer in it or anything right. like that. You know, yeah, so working a toll booth or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was like the perfect amount of of sort of homage to the original. So they yeah, they didn't overdo sure. it. Um, but yeah, it's a yeah. Like I said, this has become a pretty quick comfort movie. I'll just throw it on, and it's like it's just comes to life man like i i am so ashamed of the movie going public that like this did not do that well in the theaters and it's just like i'm just tisk tisk shame shame <laughs> like because <laughs> it's phenomenal yeah yeah it's uh I, I mean dazzling is a is a term that's thrown around in musicals and this truly is it, it yeah. was uh it, it, it captured my attention for the full runtime so absolutely well should we go to something that's not dazzling or captures your attention for the entire running time? Uh, and honestly, I probably I will have more to say about this movie than I did about West Side Story. Oh, no. <laughs> well, hopefully and not it's too all much. all anger. Hopefully too much, not much more. And also, I do want to, uh, I feel like we should be also respectful, even though we did not like this movie. It clearly is our bad. I do want to at least offer uh, a trigger warning to people for mm-hmm. the, the subject of suicide. Um, so I, I at least want to throw that out there. And if that's, you know, uh, uncomfortable or what, you know, turn, turn away or fast forward to our conversation to cats. But I, I feel like we could at least do that and be respectful, um, sure. which is maybe about the only respectful thing we could do about, <laughs> to, about last year. Also it's last not- year's dear Evan Hansen. Even when the dark comes crashing through, when you need a friend to carry you. And when you're broken on the ground, you will be found. So let the sun come streaming in, cause you'll reach up and you'll rise again. Lift your head and look around, you will be found. You will be found. You will be found. more respectful than the movie is so that's that's nice man i so this movie was like when the trailer hit for this movie like it, it was the the subject of dunking dunking it was a dunk <laughs> dunk fest it was a a dunk <laughs> dunkachino dunk dunkachino was a dunkapalooza um and and ultimately sort of rightfully so but mainly because like i you know again i'm i'm trying to brush up on on my musicals i was not aware of this musical's existence but apparently it was a very popular uh broadway show um and so the trailer comes out and i knew nothing about it until i like watched the trailer and i was like had the slow realization i was like wait did somebody make a musical version of bobcat goldway's world's greatest dad because that (laughs) that is which is a if you haven't seen World's Greatest Dad, stop this podcast now and go watch it. It is a terrific but very dark comedy um, about very similar subject matter. But I was just like, this seems like the most ill-advised thing that I've ever heard. Um, 
Maybe I should just lay the plot out and then I will ask you what you thought of this movie. Uh, might okay. be the best way to do it. So I, I will do my best here to describe it. Uh, Evan, who's played by Ben Platt, is a high school senior who suffers from social anxiety disorder and his therapist recommends that he writes letters to himself as an exercise. A series of events leads to one of his letters ending up in the possession of his classmate Connor Murphy, played by Colton Ryan, who tragically takes his own life shortly thereafter. Connor's mother, played by Amy Adams, stepfather, played by Danny Pino, and sister, played by Caitlin Deaver, discover Evan's note in Connor's room and assume that Connor was the author. Instead of coming clean, Evan goes along with the lie, becoming a viral sensation and poster child for mental health awareness. Um, more things happen, but that's essentially the gist of the movie. So, Chris, I will ask you, what did you think of Dear Evan Hansen? This movie is infuriating on <laughs> many different levels. First off, it's two hours and 17 minutes long, and it feels like two days and, and 17 hours. Like, that's why I watched it on a plane, because there was nowhere I could go. I just... <laughs> I would have walked out. Um, it's, it's, I mean, you really cannot overstate just how, so I I think elephant in the room, uh, the, the one thing to get out of the way about this. So this was a stage play, um, about six years before this, this was a movie, um, was on Broadway. Like you said, it was fairly popular and on Broadway it starred a then, uh, 20 year old Ben Platt um, who is playing a, a high school kid, a high school senior, so 17 or 18 years old so then of course this movie gets made six years later it's produced by his dad yes, and Mark Platt Yep, there might be a little bit of a nepotism that led to Ben Platt being cast as the 17 year old high school kid now as a 26 year old man who does not look 17 and because of the way that this movie is shot and specifically lit, he looks about a mid 40s year old man in some of the shots. Dude, I and I don't want to blame him. We can in maybe other regards, but I don't want to blame him for that. It's That's whoever, not his fault. Whoever but. the production designer was who decided, I was like, dude, you were doing this guy no favors. Cause no. If you look at him, because he's in the most famously, if anyone's seen him outside of this, they've probably seen the Pitch Perfect movies, which he's he's in. He's like Anna Kendrick's love interest in in those movies. And he he's a young looking guy, even at 26. So I'm like, why did you give him that like curly hair? Also, he doesn't have that hair in the stage play. If you look at any still of the stage play, he he's like pretty like short. He look his hair looks like yours. Okay. Most of the time. So I'm just like, why did you like he this is again this is not a diss on ben platt this is more a diss on whoever did he looks like simple jack from (laughs) tropic thunder (laughs) like like it's it's really bad and it's like again you're a young looking guy you light it properly you give him a proper actual seven like no 17 year old has that haircut like it just it's it does no favors to him so it's like the movie the movie already put it put a barrier like an uphill battle, right? One frame frame one <laughs> that he shows up. <laughs> so. Well, and it it torpedoes the entire conceit of the movie because, like you said, so when we're introduced to his character, he like is taking medication and he gives an explanation about himself to where he like 
He has, like, no friends. He's not able to make eye contact with people. He's not able to hold conversations. He's just, like, bubbling with anxiety and depression. And, like, he comes across as somebody who might be on the autistic spectrum just because of his explanation of I can't make eye contact with people or hold conversations or, like, those sorts of things, like, are usually, like, "Mm, okay, you you might, like, have some real developmental disorders to where he needs to have, like, one-on-ones with a, a, a therapist or a school counselor that can really help him out in that environment he shouldn't be left alone to get bullied and stuff by all the other kids and then he pulls up to school and everyone else that's cast in the movie is like age appropriate so then he just starts to look like an undercover cop or somebody who was like held back a decade and it like then we get into like the meat of the story whereas there's the mix-up of this young kid committed suicide seemingly based on a misunderstanding directly related to him. Um, Because in the scene where we see, like, the inciting incident for the suicide, Evan is writing a letter to himself that his therapist told him to do, is, you know, write a letter to yourself each day to, I don't know, help yourself cope. And he, like, hits print on the letter instead, and he's writing this in the school library for some reason. And he goes over to get the printed paper, and Connor, this kid, sees it and sees that, Evan was writing about uh, Connor's sister that Mm -hmm. Evan has a crush on. Connor thinks that he did this on purpose, that he's making fun of him. Connor mentions something about, I'm not crazy. Like, Connor, we end up finding later himself uh, has, like, some kind of psychosis. He's on medication, has been in uh, therapy for it. Um, And he pushes Evan Evan away. It's, like, this big ordeal. He storms out of the building. That's the last time we see Connor. And it's our understanding that Connor, pretty much right after this, killed himself so then we get the whole mix-up of oh you were connor's best friend and uh you know can you like come over to our house and you know have dinner with us or whatever and the whole conceit is supposed to be this is a 17 year old kid who is like nervous riddled with anxiety has all these problems and because he's a kid he doesn't know any better and it like he's he's like caught up in the whole thing and and he's making decisions that he thinks is right at the time but he can't see the forest for the trees and because of that he makes small conceit after small conceit that rolls out of control and becomes this big thing but then we're we're looking at an adult making these decisions on screen clearly an adult who should know better than something is either a completely fucking wrong with this person and they are sociopath and they are doing this on purpose for their own gains or they are so developmentally disabled that it's not coming across correctly on the screen and it's exploitative in a completely different way that they weren't intending. And either way is not good for your movie if you're trying to make like a feel-good musical. No, it's 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 really it, it's really one of the heart of the problems. I mean there there are other problems, but I think like that is the core problem because I think I do think this is a bad movie, but I think the one thing that, like, you know, amongst the, the, the Dunkathon, as I was talking about, when I finally came to watching this movie, because I, I was going to go see it in the theater, I was going to go do that, I never did, and, and I finally was like, I watched it on a plane, because, like I said, I can't go anywhere, I'm finally just, gonna, like, I'm here, I'm flying from Atlanta to Seattle, I'm going to just sit down and watch Dear Evan Hansen, and it wasn't as, like, bonkers as, like, people were sort of making it out to be, I actually found it to be quite earnest but that's also part of the problem (laughs) it made me not hate it but it made me like question 
the movie even more where I'm just like, well, I, I was like, I really do think that they're looking out for people for, you know, for mental illness and they're trying to raise awareness of it. And I do think like there's really sincere scenes of even though it's misguided from like where things spiral out of control, like there's a scene where people who are like on TikTok or Instagram or whatever are being like, oh, well, like, you know, they taught me it's to be okay. He taught me it's to be like, it's okay to feel this way. And as a big like mental health, like, Per, like first pers- like person who's like proponent and my wife's a therapist so it's like we're, we're big on that in this house i found there to be some power in that unfortunately it is squandered by this uh a uh, person who looks like an adult which like the message less to me is it, it is a lie so bad if it actually helps people out and the lesson should be evan is a menace to society and should be stopped at all costs yes because <laughs> like, because it's just like and it's just it's like it, it's painful it's also like it's also like cringe like cringe comedy without the comedy of like him right. making continuous errors of like that was your moment to come clean oh wait no now you could have come no that it, come right. clean damn it like don't stop right you just keep digging the hole yeah yeah you keep um, digging the hole which like also like gives him more like he becomes more socially less inept and and you know and is like um and and it's like there's also like genuine real world is in it too it's like he's he's got a single mom julianne moore and like Mm -hmm. bless julianne moore bless amy adams bless caitlin deaver they're all doing their best here to make this thing work um you know it's like she's a single mom and like he's texting his dad throughout the movie and the dad's very like aloof and very like deadbeat non-existent there so it's like all real heavy stuff but it just falls so flat and is like it's sort of shamelessly manipulative even it, even yes. though it's earnest but it's very very manipulative at the same time sorry i know i talked in circles there but it's just like no it, no i mean you're still on target i mean it's shamelessly manipulative and i think any any goodwill it tries to buy itself it immediately shoots itself in the foot by doing something superficial that makes it ring hollow and i think the specific example that you brought up about people on you like YouTube and TikTok and stuff being like, Hey, I saw this video, this guy doing the thing. And it made me realize that I too can be okay with my mental illness and I should talk to people, you know, okay. That is a good. And so the question is supposed to be if one little lie causes a bunch of good was, you know, is that little lie a bad thing? The problem is that it's compounding lies. Like we've talked about. And two, coinciding with showing that there was some good byproduct to the lie we are also watching a meteoric rise for evan hansen and his character going through his arc of self-discovery and getting over his anxiety but he's getting over his anxiety by going in front of groups of people or going in front of a grieving family grieving the loss of their son who has committed suicide and lying to their faces and through that, he gets more popular at school. Yep. His YouTube video that does a lot of good, sure, they cannot stop talking about how many likes and views that video has gotten. And it got seen on the TV. And we want to do a story about you in the paper. And, oh, we had money that we were going to give to our son Connor for college. But now that he's gone, we want to give you the money for that college. That scene was so uncomfortable and baffling. And if, I was with Julianne Moore's character on that one, where she's yes. just like, I'm not comfortable with this yeah, at all. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, storms out, like, bye. <laughs> and there's scenes where, like, if this had been a dark comedy, which is what I was really hoping it was going to be, like, it was set up to the point where, like, 
oh, this is going to be cringe comedy. It's dark cringe comedy. But the fact that it's all 100% earnest, that when this stuff is happening and you see him going along with it, Evan is the villain of this he movie. Is. He, he is. He is capitalizing on the grief of an entire town and suckling off of it like a, like a tick. I knew the moment, like, where this movie fell apart for me. And, and like, I know you're talking about his, his they, they clearly did the makeup and the, the design of him no favors. But, like, I was sort of trying, at least, to buy into the verisimilitude of it. Yeah, like, at least attempting to. But where the movie fell apart for me was that musical number where he imagines, like, skipping down with Connor. And, a, and I was oh, yeah. like, I was like... Like, I was like, you're just seeking a musical number about your, like, dead, like, not really friend. I was like, that's what I knew. I was like, this movie is off the rails and we haven't even really gone on. No. <laughs> and that's in the first, like, what, 20 minutes? 30 yeah, minutes? Of yeah. It's, explaining it to it's the within 30 minutes. It's, like, yeah. right after, it's, like, right after the, 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 he's called in the principal's office with, with uh, the family. Like, yeah. and I was like, what the hell movie am I watching right now? And because it's done in earnest, the movie sort of expects you to, like, get on the level with, like, well, their marriage seems to be, you know, they're holding the family together based off this lie, so that's good, right? And you're just like, no. No. Because what happens when everything comes (laughs) crumbling down, you know? Exactly, yeah. The lie gets found out and everything gets tense. Like, that's not a good lesson. It's not a feel-good story. It's not. I I will say, I, I guess the only... The only thing I will give this movie the most minuscule amount of credit, and I was like, not to jump ahead, but like, I don't care. Um, you know, it's because obviously this movie structured in such a way where, like, of course the lie has to be found out. It's like, it's right. one of those movies where you know from minute one, the second it happens, like, you're like, okay, when is the other shoe going to drop? And then, of course, the other shoe does drop. What I did like about it is that i liked that there wasn't a reconciliation between evan and the the sister like I, i'm glad they still didn't remain a couple um because i feel like this movie is already not is already manipulative and already this i was like i feel like it would betray itself even more if it ended up that way and i i was like i liked that their story at least ended on a note of like we're acknowledging and we're going our separate ways instead of like them like coming together. So right. like, I at least appreciate it. It's like what the one, one of maybe two like moments. I was like, this is actually genuine as opposed to being sort of manipulative. So it, yeah, I guess it's the cherry on top of the turd Sunday. Yeah. Well, I mean, that does saves way too little and far <laughs> too late in this two hour and 17 minute movie. But I was like, I would have, disrespected it even more if like like uh, i would have been more mad if they would have tried to like bury the hatchet you know so i was well and he at that point in the movie they had already hooked up and it was under the pretenses of like you're a good guy who was best friends with my brother and like the whole thing about like the he had a crush on this girl which is the whole thing that connor saw in the letter which then quite possibly was the, the trigger that pushed him to suicide most likely so, other things we find out with it, with it. compounding sure yeah, yeah compounding right right right. yeah it could have been the straw that broke the camel's back may may not have been if we're unsure there's also a point later on in the movie where they reveal that his broken arm earlier on in the movie is because he tried to jump out of a tree to kill himself which you're gonna i mean I don't want to make light of it, but like jumping out of a 20 foot tree in the woods, probably well, not the best you, way to go about it. You watched but, it sooner than me. Cause I, I didn't, I watched this back in January, but like, was it, 
was it for that intent or was it like a cry for help? Like he knew that the fall wouldn't do anything more than it did. I can't recall. You, you let me know, but it's implied. I mean, like it's most likely was a cry for help because if you were serious about it, if you climbed that tree, looked down at the ground, you'd be yeah. like, that's not going to do it. I know. But, I think of that scene in the dark night when he's got Eric Roberts yeah. up there is like the fall from here wouldn't kill me. I'm counting on counting it. on it. Yeah, yeah. Exa- yeah exactly. <laughs> the, and like you definitely, and you're falling into like a pile of leaves. Like this is you're not you're not gonna do it this way, bud. But then the story implies like he falls, breaks his arm, and then he walks into his workplace, and his boss drives him to the hospital, and then he tells his mom it was an accident. So there's right. never a point where he was like, yeah, you know, I was in a dark place, and I decided to do he, where he completes the cry for help. It's just a thing that's done for the benefit of the audience to show, like, oh, he broke his arm because there was a suicide attempt. But at this point in the movie, it just seems like another layer of manipulation that they're putting on here. Because, like, one, if it is a cry for help, he didn't go through, like, any channels to tell anybody to actually say, help me. I'm making decisions that are hurting myself and I need to get help for that. It's just presented to the audience as, like... Yeah, I, you probably think this guy's a piece of shit, but look how bad he's suffering. Don't you feel bad for him now? And no, movie, I don't feel bad for him at this point because of all the terrible shit that he's done and he continues to do up until this point. Yeah. But then, like I was saying, he, uh, nobody in the family, Connor's family, they apparently like fucking hated the kid because nobody has anything good to say about him. Um, and they're all desperately hoping that Evan has something to say and he can just straight up make shit off the top of his head and everyone accepts it as like oh wow i didn't i didn't know that about our son he seems yeah. like a really nice kid so like it it seems like even worse that everyone that's around connor you're like oh this kid killed himself and he had zero support structure his family was completely unplugged and disinterested in his life and they had like no idea that any of these problems like to the point where i can just yeah, that last Tuesday, we went out and did a whole bunch of shit, and I'm his best friend, and of course you've never heard of me, or heard him talk about me, or seen him go out and do any of this stuff, and they just go, wow, cool, that's, yeah. wow, let's it's put you on YouTube. It's so that? contrived. <laughs> it's so contrived. That's, that's the, it's inconvenient. Like, it, yes. it's really convenient for the, the story, and, God, uh, I... And then he uses it to bang his sister. Yes. Because he just, he tells the sister... Um, no, your brother used to say a lot of neat, nice stuff about you, and then he says all the stuff that he thinks about her, about how he, right. he likes her smile, and she's so funny, and she's so smart, and blah, blah, blah. And so then the sister, like, oh my god, I never realized this about my brother. She starts to have a connection with Evan Hansen, and then they end up hooking up later, and then we come to find out that, like, well, no, none of that actually happened. It's just Evan made all that stuff up for his own benefit. And so, like apparently i haven't seen the stage play apparently the stage play he never gets caught or comes clean and it ends Mm. with the whole like his his rise to stardom and everything turns out hunky-dory for evan's life and everyone thinks that him and connor were best friends and he rides off into the sunset which i i don't know which one is worse because even when he gets caught in this movie nothing really happens he just yep i'm gonna go like no one's really mad at him he reconciles with the sister and he's able to sort of make an argument for himself about how like hey you know i i thought i was doing a good thing sorry about that and pretty much everyone's just like nah 
That's okay. <laughs> no one really cared about Connor anyway, so who, whatever. Yeah, yeah, water under the bridge. It's sure what it seems like. God. Uh, uh. It's evil. It's, it's an evil movie. It is. And I, I last thing I want to say before we get into an inherently less evil movie um, is that uh, we should talk about the, the music for a second because it is the musical mm. episode. It's terrible. All of yep. it is terrible. It's auto-tuned to death. It sounds like crap. It's really generic. It's 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 uh, it's awful. Like I can't remember a single song. There's nobody who has like I feel like true like pipes in this movie. Like there there are more people with pipes in the next movie we're going to talk about at the very least who's singing their damn parts than there are in this movie. So oh uh, yeah, it's but even Evan Hansen is doing a lot of <laughs> like rolling yeah. into the notes where it's like. And it's one of the things where he, in in an article that he was interviewed in, where they were like, why were you cast in this? Uh, clearly pointing it to it being nepotism. He was saying that like his performance on stage, it was so intricately linked or intrinsically linked with the stage play that like fans of the play would not have accepted somebody else being cast in the role. Which, by this point in time, there had been several other people cast in the role for the the iteration on Broadway. Yeah. Which, I'm sure they really appreciated that comment. And, like, based on his performance that we see here in the movie, his performance is terrible. It's where not he's good. Like overacting on certain things, which is, like, what we talked about in the last movie, where a stage actor will will really overact something because the back row needs to see it but of course when the camera is right up in your face and you are overlit to all hell and we can see everything that you're doing you just sort of look like you haven't slept in a few days and you're kind of like on on edge on caffeine pills that's the sort of performance that we're getting out of him it's deranged it is it's it's really to the point where it's like you know how there's like a movie where like you you could be like ah, I don't see where that worked but maybe that worked better on the stage because of X Y and Z or because of that I don't even see where this worked on the stage either no. so no. in performance or story so I'm just like oof no no hard pass don't watch it we no. did it so you don't have to <laughs> no not and worth it it's, not it's even not worth it. Not even for the curiosity of, like, this sounds goofy. It's not. It's no. miserable. It's miserable. But if you are curious, curious like curious. cat. <laughs> That's why my friends call me Whiskers. That's why my friends call me Whiskers. Uh, and a movie that was also subject to uh, social media dunking when the trailer dropped. Look, I... I've, I, I'm sure longtime listeners of the show will realize, like, I've deleted my personal Twitter account for reasons, <laughs> for personal, you know, reasons of, you know, mental health, and it, it, that site is kind of a disease. However, the uh, the one moment I always cherish is where everyone was seemingly united in awe and horror over the trailer for Cats. At least they all heard that somebody purred, which is incontestable proof of my singular magical powers. And I've known the family to call me in from the garden for hours when I was asleep in the hall. And not long ago, this phenomenal cat produced seven kittens right out of a hat. Mr. Mistopheles? My hero. Oh. And oh, they gosh. all say, Oh, well, I never was there ever. A cat so clever as magical Mr. 
Because holy shit, it's a nightmare. What a picture! <laughs> Dude. What a picture. Um, I mean, this was this this cat's. It's like omnipresent. Like you know, when we were growing up, like where I would always watch like as I've talked like reruns of Star Trek TNG at my grandma's. Like I'm sure I've talked about many times, and like. This was always playing in Portland. Like, the traveling show was always in Portland. They'd be like, mm. this weekend at the Keller Auditorium, Cats, the Broadway sensation. Like, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was, like, one of the most popular musicals of all time. And I don't know how. No. <laughs> like, it's, it is so weird. But I, like, what is your, because similarly, I mean, we're, we're the same age, roughly, like, I'm sure you are aware of this this show. Oh, you know, yeah. like it's just like like was everywhere. Oh, it and it's been spoofed in a bunch of things. Yeah. I, I, the the original poster of just the big cat's eyes with the black background, like it is iconic. Um, I've never seen the original. Uh, Megan has, and when we watched this together, and I was asking her, like, is the main is like the cats the stage play like anything like this? apparently it's pretty damn close so it like is. this this is pretty much what the stage play is and apparently there there just wasn't shit to do in the 80s because uh, i don't understand why this this play is as big of a phenomena as it is because if it's not for like the spectacle which it, it apparently is my understanding the original stage play was like a, a huge selling point was the costumes and the set design and it was just odd um in in its portrayal but the story fucking sucks like yeah. there's really not much of a story at all no i i even wrote in our synopsis like i i didn't even really know what to write other than like for anyone who doesn't know anything about it it's based on a series of T.S. Eliot short stories. Um, and it's basically just a series of vignettes in which a cat will come into the movie or come into the play, um, sing a song with their name in it a bunch of times, mm-hmm. and then leave. And then never show up in the movie again, <laughs> like, right. for the most part. And, well, and they describe their personality. So, like, it's literally, it's it's a it's a stage play about cat memes. About, like, do you have a, <laughs> if, do you have a cat that's, really feisty well here we have felix the feisty cat he's gonna sing a 10 minute song about how he's feisty rum tum tugger is the curious rum tum tugger and then he 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 scratches at the door to get in and then when you open the door he doesn't actually want to get in what a what a goofy character and that's the entire fucking play is the personality of different kinds of cats yes it's baffling it is baffling. I don't know how this took the storm, other than the only rational reason I could think of why, because this came out in the eighties. Uh, Coke, Coke was big in the eighties. That's that's uh, yeah. that's. I think that's the only <laughs> rational. And then it just, it, then it just catapulted in the lexicon, and then it just stayed. I think that's that's the only really thing that happened. So, uh, if you were in New York in the eighties and you weren't at Cats, you were most likely getting murdered. And so I think there was just sort of a survivor's bias. <laughs> Of everybody in New York loves cats, and it's like, well, it's because anyone who wasn't at that show that happened to be downtown was killed and robbed that night because New York City in the eighties was Gotham City. Yeah, so, there were a lot of lot of lot of Thomas and Martha Wayne's walking, yes, walking out of cats. 
getting killed in the crime alley. Oh man, could you? Is there? I mean, there's a million Batman comics. There's got to be one where they're walking out of a stage play of cats. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to say that the Lego Batman movie maybe has cats on the. the no, is I think it? it's Mask of Zorro. I think it's Mask of Zorro. Oh, which I, is I which is the traditional like right, thing that yeah. you know the classic. Anyway, but anyway, so cats. Um, I love a good train wreck up close. Um, oh boy, which you get in this movie. I I love. I love just big ill-advised swings and this is 100% that and this is this is a carte blanche movie right so this is directed by Tom Hooper mm-hmm. Tom Hooper who directed the King's Speech which made a shitload of money and won a shitload of Oscars uh and then after that did the adaptation of Les Mis Rob uh which I actually kind of like I, I I won't uh lie there um it's it's pretty solid um also made a bunch of money and was up for a bunch of Oscars. And it won a couple. I think Anne Hathaway won Supporting Actress for, mm. for it. Um, though, I he's more, to my knowledge, even though he seemingly gets money to do these because his movies have been successful, he's more a, a sort of the period piece type, uh, like making the King speech. Like, that seems more his wheelhouse. Because I guess, even though Les Mis Rob turned out good, like, they didn't have a clap track when they, they shot it. So, like... The big draw of Lame is Rob was that they shot the movie like they actually sang. Like they didn't mm. do they didn't do it like they sang it on stage, but like they didn't have a clap track, so like syncing was like a whole like fucking nightmare apparently oh. in post. And similarly with cats, so they had the the CGI, like the the Andy Circus type like uh, uh suits, mo-cap. right? Mocap. Yeah. Uh thank you. I was like, why am I blinking on the term? Mocap, thank you very much. Without the dots without the dots to actually track it. So funny. I story. was wondering how they fucked it up that bad. Well, so here's funny. So like, because <laughs> you'll like this because you're you're you are a much bigger video gamer than I am. So this movie came out. It, it screened for press, um, which I was at a press screening, and I'll get to that at at a, at a different time uh, in, in this episode. But um, like, there was a moment where it was clear. I think it's Judy Dench where it was clearly a human hand that wasn't like grafted onto it. So mm-hmm. they sent, they resent a DLC, uh, DLC uh, or a D- DCP, excuse me, digital cinema package. They had to resend a DCP to all the multiplexes with an updated version with, uh, with the correct like hand and a couple other things. So basically, Cats was the first movie to basically get a download patch. <laughs> this is like... Cats version one one point one. Exactly. It's like. It's literally like because I just bought the uh, I just got the um, the uh, Cowabunga collection, the Teenage Mutant yeah, Ninja yeah. Turtle game, and like I just installed it. I got it like two days after it came out, and it was like I installed it to my Xbox One, and then I hit the play, and they're like, "Oh wait, sorry, there's a new version." I was like, "It just came, we fucked it up. <laughs> it just came out." <laughs> so they basically did that with Cats, but for a movie. It's it's incredible. Um, I want to hand it more the reins over to you, but uh, last thing I will say. So, my context of the first time I watched this movie, I saw it in the theater, saw a press screening of it. I saw it the same day that I saw Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, because they mm. came out both the same day. They screened for press on the same day. Star Wars it was at, like, 10 a.m. Uh, I think they took the day off work. So, it's like, Star Wars at, like, 10 a.m. And so, I went and watched Rise of Skywalker, came out of it. It was just, just fucking miserable. Like, yeah. just, just, I was like, wow, what a, what a, what a soulless, soul-crushing like just product just they put product out. P- yeah. absolute piece of shit 
And then, you know, I, then I go home for a bit and then I go back to the very same theater at 7 PM, uh, to watch cats. And I walked out of cats. I was like, you know what? No irony. I enjoyed this more than I did the rise of Skywalker because I'm like, it was a failure, but it was a failure on its own terms. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, 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 it's bonkers. Like I watched this a few times. Like I showed it to Kate, and then we—I think we watched it in our corn screen once. You weren't there for it clearly because you just yeah. had to watch it. I avoided it, <laughs> and um, like Kate was just like watching in horror, and I was like, kind of—I think this was when my back was out, and I was like, "Uh, wake me up when we get to Skimble Shanks, the Railway Cat." And she was just like, "What oh, the yeah. fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> it's, it's uh, oh my god, this movie is horrific. Like, but in a yes. <laughs> like in a truly horrific way so yeah. yeah i had purposely avoided this movie uh i was waiting uh with bated breath for the butthole cut but yeah, I mean, <laughs> sadly that day has never come um but i had seen promotional things from the movie i'd seen glimpses of it and i knew that it was human faces on cat bodies which just is is the, the absolute worst decision that you could possibly make like because you could either go all the way practical effects you can make it you can make it true to the original stage play and just do makeup in cat suits and like real practical sets and shoot it that way make it like uh spielberg's west side story where like you are using motion of the camera and colors and set builds in order to show off the spectacle of what's happening on a stage. That's a neat way to shoot a stage play. Um, or if you wanted to make it full CGI and make them like human cat hybrids, you could do, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily go this way, but Ron Howard's uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas and they can have prosthetics that give them cat-like features and go a full way with practical effects or full way like mocap like uh, uh benedict cumberbatch's smaug in the hobbit right. series where you capture their face and then make a digital print of a cat face that matches their features somewhat right i'm glad you brought the grinch up because like i don't particularly oh, like right. that movie but like the production design of that movie is like a plus plus like they could have yeah. done something like that and it would have been the better for it but anyway continue it, it would have been more grand scale and it would have been more deserving of something that was like a huge broadway play if you make a impressive stage to yes set your story in um but th- this this half-assed copy paste of like it, it's like really bad deep fake Yes. Of somebody's face just moved over onto a a pretty terrible mocap CGI body that, like you said, because they didn't have the dots, the movements are so super stiff. It looks almost like that digital baby gif that was like one of the first <laughs> things on the internet. Yes. Um, it, it just like really stiffly moves around in its wireframe and then it has a person's face badly tracking over the wireframe to the point where sometimes like... If the actor is looking down, then the face goes down past the bottom jaw of the cat head. And it is poorly fitting because they didn't, like, line up the wireframe of the cat body correctly. And so I was I was watching this and it awakened a phobia that I didn't know that I had. Because <laughs> I've seen, like, Uncanny Valley 
and it like it kind of makes you uncomfortable but there was something about like with them moving towards frame like moving towards camera i would physically back away from the tv and which is <laughs> i don't like that and they do it uh, often enough that i was like at the very edge of the couch as far as i could get from the tv watching the rest of this movie <laughs> it is it's it's eerie it really is eerie watching this weird humanoid things kind of float around on the screen and the body's not quite matching the movements of the faces that are pasted on it. Right. It's it it's like it's haunted. It is. Well, it, it's it's just baffling given that we know the technology is there to it, you know to pull this off the way that I'm sure Tom Hooper initially envisioned it doing it. Like we've seen yeah. filmmakers do it before. I mean, granted, like and granted tom hooper given his resume i'm like i'm not gonna besmirch the guy but like it's not a really special effects heavy resume prior to this right so it's just like you know but it's like it's clear i'm like how was there not somebody being like hey you should probably do it like this like you know it's like we have avatar where you're like i believe that these blue alien race are actual people within this world you have the Matt Reeves Planet of the Apes movies where you're like, I believe that Caesar is an actual ape that I am like watching his journey through. And it's incredible, like an incredible breakthrough in visual effects. And you're like, they had the money to do, this was a hundred million dollar movie, by the way, they had the money to be able to pull that off. And it's like, like you said, haunted is the word. It is like every frame of this movie it is everything is off everything is nightmarish everything is just like what the hell and you feel bad for every performer in this movie who is doing their damnedest but oh my god like what is uh what is happening (laughs) i felt i felt worst for uh i mean well Idris Elba, because what are you doing in this movie, bud? McCavity, um, McCavity, yeah. Uh, his Idris Elba, first of all, sucks. Idris Elba <laughs> needs a new agent. He is a terrific yes. actor who finds himself in some of the most just baffling projects. Like he, he'll he'll crush it. I mean, he'll crush it in most things he's in. But you're just like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Like what? Le- extreme david bird voice how did you get here like right the roles go by there's um, some people i don't feel as bad for because i feel no. like you know not to not to be too dickish about their acting prowesses but uh, there's a couple of people who are like you're just lucky to be here uh specifically <laughs> i'm talking about the musicians in the movie <laughs> aka jason derulo aka taylor swift um mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're just you're just lucky to be here yeah right <laughs> I felt bad for Ian McKellen, uh, oh, yeah. although he's he's doing his best. But like, he's it was his just best. A, I, uh, it was, I know that he cried on the set of The Hobbit, so then I can only imagine the absolute emotional breakdown that oh, he man. had uh, working on this. But I I felt bad for um, Rebel Wilson. Yeah. Since I mean, she's had like comedic roles, and she's obviously thrust in this movie to have a, a comedic role. But then there are attempts to do like punch up or insert jokes and not a single one of them are funny. Like every attempted humor in this movie is. Oh yeah. Her scene's also most terrifying because when it shows all the mice, 
Oh my oh, god. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the children's faces on them. <laughs> it, is, it is a nightmare. An absolute, absolute nightmare. No, I felt bad for her. I kind of felt bad for Ray Winstone as well, though when he he actually did a little like number as Growl Tiger, I was I was I was hooting and hollering as as the kids say. <laughs> I thought that was it was super funny. I, I don't know why I laughed so hard, but I did. Uh Judy Dench, who mm. Mm-hmm. that's the other weird thing about this movie if we want to get into plot like there's bare minimum plot but it's basically the jellical ball in which all these cats perform for basically the the uh, honor to die and go to kitty heaven yeah and get reincarnated as a better cat right it's basically the plot of the movie well and and uh uh mccavity played by idris elba is a cat who apparently has teleportation powers. And apparently this is also something that crosses over to the stage play. The McCavity yes. is able to do that to people. So McCavity! Uh, who, who fucking knows? Um, but, so McCavity is going around and picking out these other cats, which are the, the cats that we are introduced to through song. And so um, we start with, I don't even know her name. She's a model or a ballet dancer um and i i don't think that she is a i gotta look real quick i don't uh you you can keep talking because i don't think she is uh i don't know if she's a character in the actual play she's kind of like our audience surrogate basically right um but not really because there's really no exposition that explains to her like this is cat world and there's a hierarchy of cats and every year we have the jet like there's there's no point where anybody really sits her down and talks to her she is just moving from scene to scene through the dance numbers she will move out of one dance scene into oh who are these new characters oh who am i well my name is the rum and so (laughs) we go into the next thing and so She's our audience surrogate, but she doesn't really have a purpose or a point throughout the movie other than to watch the movie along with us. Um, so she's just a non-character, really, uh, that's there to just have a really terrible uh, f- uh, face uh, mapping that's happening on the, the cat body like everybody else. But um, we're just going through and be- we're being introduced to James Corden is a fat cat uh who sings a song about himself and uh, all these other cats are here's my personality my personality and at the end of every musical number idris elba will show up and then whisk them away with his teleportation powers until eventually he kidnaps judy dench and then gets her out on this boat and he's basically like you send like kill me and send me to heaven so i can be reincarnated and she's like i don't want to do that and then she escapes very easily and then he basically leaves the movie and then the rest of the plot happens and then they choose another cat to go to heaven and and then nothing happened like there's no i was hoping (laughs) watching it did you ever see the great mouse detective oh god i years like when i was a kid i don't remember If, if if you had to quiz me if my life depended on it i would not like i would not pass but yes i have seen it before i i was expecting something like that of being introduced to a world that's very similar to ours but it's populated by cats and there could be this entire hierarchy and then mccavity would basically be the 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 radigan 
of this world where he'd be the big bad who is able to through his cunning and guile worm his way into the world and earn the trust of the people he needs to earn in order to advance his position and then eventually there would be like a big bad uh you know fight or takedown very very simple storytelling things we, we've introduced a, a bad guy uh who we're not going to reveal imme- reveal immediately is a bad guy although you very definitely clearly know because it's a kid's movie and it needs to build to a penultimate showdown for for that character to happen but we never build to it we get the reveal of, like we know that he's taking people but we don't know what his nefarious plot is and then we cut away to he's on a boat and they're like we've got all the cats now kill me and send me to heaven and she's like no and then they all escape and then he's like oh shucks <laughs> and then we just go like i'm the, the railway cat and we just go back to another musical number and so yeah. like there's there's literally no resolution like they, they they set something up for the purpose of showing that he's completely ineffectual yeah and then the story just continues on without him it does it continues out without him and then we're introduced well i guess he's introduced earlier in the movie is the like the other um oh uh like alley cat played by jennifer hudson that like people like want nothing to do with and and mm-hmm. then um you know of course she's got the the one musical number that if anybody if nobody knows anything about cats Everybody knows the song Memory. That's the mm-hmm. most obvious. And Jennifer Hudson's a terrific singer. She crushes it. But then it's like... But, like, as far as, like, plot concerns, it's just, like, she just shows up, sings that song, and then it's like, yeah. you were the Jellicle choice. <laughs> yep. So you're going to go to Kitty Heaven, and we're going to listen to Judy Dench sing, speak sing for about five Cats to ten minutes. not dogs. Yes. Thanks, Judy Dench. <laughs> <laughs> it felt so bad for Judy Dench and so it's it's <laughs> i can't stop laughing i i i don't know i like i i feel like i'm just like an insane person because i'm like i know this is bad i know this is nightmare fuel i know this is like an abomination that should be put out to pasture and never be seen again but yet i've seen it like three times at this point <laughs> and, and i gotta... I, and i will probably watch it again <laughs> I got to find the the review on Letterboxd because I was looking up to see just to make sure I wasn't the only person who w- was losing their goddamn mind watching this movie. And one of my favorite reviews, I want to find it so I can give them proper credit, but uh, Sarah Clements on, on Letterboxd, uh, you made me laugh out loud. Uh, they said, uh, cats are not dogs, clearly, since all dogs go to heaven and this is definitely hell. <laughs> um, I very much appreciated that as just a cap for the the movie. And again, this is our what choice, but I think comparatively, if we're looking at uh, Dear Evan Hansen, which is like literally an evil movie that I would not recommend because it, it's just going to do more harm than good. Like you said, this is a a oh my god! It just got another. Uh, one of the cat's faces that the camera zoomed in on it it scared the shit out of me um <laughs> this this movie is a big ambitious swing but i just don't know what the hell they were swinging for they're oh. playing a completely different game altogether. yeah it's, it's not even the it's same ballpark not even the same league ain't even the no. same fucking sport no it's no it's 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 i don't know what they were swinging for by any stretch other than like hey why don't we use like 
Peter Jackson slash James Cameron level like motion capture to like use force perspective to make like humans play the cats, but then the sets are big and like like I, that's the only thing I could think of. But it's just like sure. it's so ill advised. But I think like yes, comparatively, I I stand by where I put them because West Side Story is a carte blanche movie made by a master filmmaker like who right. absolutely uses everything in their tool belt and makes it sing. Dear Evan Hansen is a evil, despicable movie that nobody should ever see. And Cats is also like a carte blanche movie, but it's like the opposite where it's like you had all the tools, you had all the resources and the decisions made are so baffling, but I can't call the movie evil by any stretch. I think they're just trying to make an adaptation no. of a weird ass musical and it ended up making a weird ass movie, which oh, I guess they tried. if the shoe fits, like it's, <laughs> it's there so it's um but yeah it's it's this is a movie i would recommend if like definitely you know if you want to vibe a bit and watch this movie though i guess if you have the phobia that you do maybe not this might be oh, yeah. too nightmarish <laughs> i i had taken an edible admittedly so that definitely like did not help my state of mind uh, <laughs> just curled up in the corner afterwards you're just like oh man stop it stop it uh magical mr mistopheles like get away from oh, me <laughs> I, it was hard for me to concentrate on the music because I was I was too too scared. Oh yeah, it's rough. That's rough. But uh, I don't know. I think this movie. I had fun with this movie, and I have I have continuously had fun with this movie, even though it is objectively terrible. Yes, it's objectively <laughs> yeah. very terrible. But I I, I I can't even say that I appreciate the the attempt. I the I. I acknowledge the attempt. That's, that's <laughs> I, what I will give it. I think that's fair. I think that's fair, <laughs> and I think that's where we should leave it. Um, <laughs> but before we wrap this episode up proper, um, we, like I said, we we're pretty much taking the rest of September off. So the next episode you get from us won't be until October 7th, um, just mm-hmm. given the way that life is. But we're coming back all four weeks of October with spooky season stuff. So I figure we could probably just tease all the picks now um or at least all the categories Uh, as usual we'll give you the categories and we'll we'll not give you the picks but we'll start with october 7th which i believe is one of your picks chris so yeah why don't i give you the red carpet for that yeah starting out with uh some some a little bit of a a classic uh classic movie monster uh but we're gonna go with post george romero international zombie movies Oh, awesome. I look forward to that category. And then the next week after that, October 14th, uh, on October 7th, there is a new Hellraiser movie uh, coming out. Um, Very, very excited for that. It's directed by, I think it's by David Bruckner, I want to say. So I'm I'm very excited for that. Uh, That hits Hulu on October 7th. So on October 14th, we're going to be diving into Clive Barker adaptations in honor of that new Hellraiser movie. Um, and then on the 21st, back to you, Chris, what are we talking about? Yeah. Uh, so then we're going to go classic again, but we're going to do classic horror remakes. So it's, uh, specifically going to be, uh, horror, uh, classics that were made in black and white and talk about their then color remakes that came later on down the line. So a six movie special. Oh, right. Another, another exciting episode. Looking forward to that. And then finally we close out. Uh, we did uh, last month we did an episode on matrix knockoffs i think we it's it's pretty fun to look at a sort of watershed movie and see like what other filmmakers try and do so uh the last episode we'll be doing on october 28th will be knockoffs of the movie seven the seminal 1995 david fincher movie a lot of 
a lot of gruesome uh, sort of serial killer horror adjacent movies came out in the wake of the success of that movie. So I look forward to uh, diving into them. But in the meantime, yeah. you can find all of our episodes on our website at goodbadwhat.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Good Bad What. You can email us at the Good, the Bad, the What at gmail.com. If you feel generous and want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website, and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of any movies we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online? Yeah, you can find me online on Twitter at thochristo89 or on Letterboxd at C underscore T-H-O-M. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening. Have a good break from our show, and we'll be back on October 7th with post-George Romero international zombie movies. And say a cat is not a dog. <laughs>